0: He does understand that Jews are a growing body in the United States. And he is, I believe, the first president who politically takes account of Jews and of Jewish voters. Uh, Now, partly that's because the number of Jews has increased very, very dramatically, What what are we talking? What are the numbers like in terms of rapid increase? When when Lincoln is born, probably about uh, three thousand Jews in the whole uh, country. Um, When um, Lincoln, um, uh, and then you you see a very rapid increase in the number of uh, Jews by mid-century about, uh, you may well have had 50,000 or more by the civil war, which gives you a sense of how rapid uh, Jewish immigration was by the civil war, the estimate is about 150,000 Jews in. So think about that in his lifetime move from 3,000 Jews, which means you were lucky if you ever met a Jew, to 150,000, which is very large. Lincoln paid attention uh, to those kinds of trends. I would say that Illinois was a state uh, that had some significant Jewish community, of course, mostly in Chicago. And um, the rep- new Republican Party sees opportunities of maybe uh, winning this new group of voters to uh, their side. And I I have to say, that was one of the many surprises to me, was when I read a letter that, that talked about winning Jewish voters. I would never have imagined right. anyone would care about Jewish voters, and subsequently, uh, we see that by the 1864 election, that's the second Lincoln <sighs> election, um, uh, there there uh, are circulars uh, sent to Jewish voters, and uh, there are uh, you know folks who. They'll go out and persuade Jews, vote for Lincoln, he's good for the Jews. And many things that we imagine a very recent ethnic vote and like turn out to have their roots uh, really in the presidency of Abraham Lincoln. Was there a parallel in terms of his? To Catholics who were also yes. and German, a, an oppressed like. oppressed minority in America. Well, uh, what's amazing about Catholics in the 1850s? There was a huge amount of anti-Catholicism, and actually, an anti-Catholic party known as the Know Nothing Party. Lincoln is not part of it. A lot of other politicians. Uh, did uh, for a time join and then of course people were very embarrassed to have been part of a um, a, a party dedicated to religious hatred and bigotry but Lincoln never did and there are some really astonishingly uh, um, uh, quotes from Lincoln about how uh, he does not see that as the American way. And um, what's fascinating about um, anti-Catholicism and and true also of anti-Semitism is when you read the private letters of people from the Civil War era. So if you read James Buchanan, who's uh, Lincoln's predecessor, many anti-Semitic comments If you read Andrew Johnson, his successor, it's full of uh, anti-Semitism. Anyone who was Jewish who Johnson mentions, he mentions with a derogatory comment about Jews. You don't find that in Lincoln. What's amazing in Lincoln is that the private Lincoln is as impressive as the public Lincoln. And today anyone can um, see that all the letters, or many of the letters are um, online at the Library of Congress. And um, it's really um, uplifting to read them uh, at a time when uh, uh, some of our politicians have private lives that uh, we would not exactly want to view as models for our children you suddenly read Lincoln and you see what this is, the definition of a great human being, that uh, the private Lincoln is, as opposed to hatred and bigotry and uh, and uh, a- as dedicated to what we might view American ideals, the private Lincoln upholds them in the same way that the public Lincoln, Uh, Does tell us a little bit more about the um, growing, emerging, organized Jewish community in America in the 1860s. I got the impression that this was really the start of, you know, American Jewry organizing and becoming a, you know, a force in the political social arena. No, I think absolutely right. Um, Just on the eve of the Civil War, we see the first organized body, the Board of Delegates of American Israelites. It calls itself clearly um, echoing the Board of Deputies in London. Um, It doesn't include every synagogue. um, And it's controversial. But nevertheless, it is a political body uh, and uh, it is engaged in fighting uh, to promote the interests of the Jewish community. And we can really see that because when the chaplaincy bill is passed, you got a war, you need to think about chaplains in the military. And probably uh, without a lot of forethought, uh, the bill says a chaplain's gonna be a minister of some Christian denomination. Of uh, course, otherwise, you know, they said all sorts of people seem, if you're unemployed, you'll say, I'm a chaplain. Um, so um, th- there was a big effort in the midst of war, which took real courage and it was was handled extremely well. Uh, and Lincoln played a big part in it, uh, an effort to broaden the chaplaincy uh, so that the Jewish troops and uh, there are maybe 7,500, 8,000, in the Union army, the, the situation Confederacy didn't have an organized uh, a chaplaincy, each community uh, ministers and rabbis catered. But in the Union, you had about 8,000 Jews, some quite prominent. And uh, the argument was, uh, uh, why should they be discriminated against? Moreover, just imagine, uh, had the military kept a rule that said chaplains must be ministers of some Christian denomination, that would have meant that uh, Jews were second class citizens in the United States. So it was not a small matter. And amidst war, uh, the Jewish uh, community first stages a test case. Um, uh, uh, Arnold Fischel is elected chaplain, that's what used to work. And the Secretary of War, we have all this correspondence in the book, writes to him and says, You know, we would have loved to appoint you, but doesn't look like you're a Christian minister. Uh, so I can't appoint you. Uh, but otherwise, uh, you know, you have um, um, uh, uh, you, you, certainly all the credentials that are needed. And uh, that becomes the test case. And it's actually official. Uh, who goes to Washington and um, fights this case, um, and um, uh, goes all the way to Abraham Lincoln, and Lincoln, who is a brilliant politician, figures out it's not going to be easy to get Congress to change the word Christian. Who's going to Want to run on a platform? I removed the Christian Achim. minister very hard. So, this genius says, Now we'll keep the word, but we'll construe the word Christian to mean religious. That means nobody has to change anything. A lot of people probably didn't even understand what it meant, but that didn't matter. The minute We construe the word Christian to mean some religious denomination. Lincoln appoints the first Jewish chaplain. That, of course, becomes the precedent. And it's worth remembering. It's not only a precedent for Jews. It's a precedent for every minority faith. In America, down to our own day, uh, some years ago, uh, there was a bit of a kerfuffle when uh, a Wiccan, that's witchcraft, was mm-hmm. appointed chaplain and it was remembered, well, uh, it's a religious denomination and there are Wiccans who serve in the army and it was agreed in that case. There can be a Wiccan chaplain. That's an example of how rights extended to Jews as non-Christians later uh, open up possibilities for all sorts of other non-Christian faiths uh, in the United States. And that has happened on innumerable uh, subsequent occasions. So this, this is really a, a part of the precursor to you. You had mentioned that it was modeled after the, um, the, the Council of British Deputies. So, we're moving away from the court Jew, that court Jew that manipulates quietly and somehow, you know, saved the king's life 30 years earlier and now he gets rewarded. Now we're talking about organized Jewish community advocating for very specific Jewish needs. Yeah, I mean, there as there are today, there were in the 19th century individual Jews who had particular gifts at uh, dealing with politicians. Uh, uh, the Yiddish word is shmeichel. um uh, They knew uh, how to ask about their families and how to do them favors and get them in return. There have always been such people in politics. Uh, Simon Wolf in the 19th century is by far the most important figure in terms of his ability to interface between the Jewish community and, um, the president of the United States. Um, but that actually happens in Grant's era. But even earlier with the board of delegates, we see an organized community that understands that there are interests and, um, Um, We also see newspapers playing the Jewish newspapers playing an immensely important role um, in unifying American Jewry and giving them a, a voice and organizing them. So, for example, there are actually hundreds. That is not an exaggeration. Hundreds of letters on the chaplaincy matter to come in to members of Congress uh, and to Washington officials. Well, Isaac Mayer was in every issue of his newspaper. The American Israelite uh, told American Jews, write letters, lobby. That's how change happens. And clearly they did. Now, other people also wrote letters. But you can see how the press has really... um, uh, a political function. Um, and all of those newspapers, the Occident, which is more Orthodox, the American Israelite, more Reform, the Jewish Messenger in New York, uh, and, and a couple of, of lesser known West Coast papers. They're all founded uh, beginning in the 1840s. And um, uh, they they have a national... Audience and they use the power of the printing press to link Jews together. We suddenly have a community, not just individual uh, Jewish communities, but a unified uh, Jewish community.